it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Good afternoon and welcome to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Everybody, make sure you buckle up for a great show today on the final drive. We will have Eric Kane from Locked On Vols giving us a little preview of the Alabama versus Tennessee matchup this evening at 6 o'clock right on ESPN2. We'll also talk to Daniel Head, who is the Coastal Alabama Community College Athletic Director. A lot of great things going on at Coastal Alabama, and he's over all three campuses. He'll give us a preview of some games that are going on there on the Eastern Shore. At the 5 o'clock hour, make sure you tune in. Mobile and Pritchard, Alabama's finest, Aaron James, is now the head coach at Tuskegee University. We'll talk to Aaron James about taking over that head coaching job, and he was once the offensive coordinator at Miles as well as the offensive coordinator last year. Got elevated to head coach at Tuskegee. We'll see how things are going on in Tuskegee. One of my special guests, Nick Williams, will join us around 5.30. Nick Williams is a former player from LaFleur High School of mine, has gone on to play collegiately at Ole Miss and had a very successful career for Andy Kennedy at Ole Miss, and now he's an assistant coach at Southern Miss and, of course, the Golden Eagles come into town tomorrow evening to take on the South Alabama Jaguars, and we'll make sure that we catch up with Nick Williams right around 5.30. And we'll also have Solomon Johnson, Fairhope Pirates head basketball coach. They're in battle right now in regional action as 7A basketball here in the state of Alabama does not have sub-regionals, but they do have regional play, so we'll make sure we catch up with Coach Solomon Johnson to see how they did. We had some earlier high school basketball games that went on today, and in earlier action, Daphne, the Lady Trojans, defeated Auburn 58 to 48 and Foley's girls defeated Central of Phoenix City 56 to 40. So in 7A girls basketball, you'll set up an all Baldwin County final between Foley and Daphne and that regional final game will be in over a week. But again, when you start talking about being able to defeat Auburn and being able to defeat Central of Phoenix City from a girls basketball standpoint that's huge locally and we'll congratulate those two teams playing one another again for an opportunity to punch their ticket to the final four here in a couple of weeks in Birmingham Alabama not so 
Good news for the Daphne boys. They lost to Central of Phoenix City 73-52, to and they will play the Fairhope-Auburn winner in boys basketball. So we'll get that wrap-up from Solomon Johnson. And behind the glass is Michael Brauner joining me this afternoon, as always. And, Michael, I know yesterday on the show we talked a lot about what the Auburn Tigers had to do. And Bruce Pearl, he he mentioned yesterday and really the day before the sense of urgency that Auburn basketball had to have. And I know you have what Coach Pearl had to say about the game coming in against Missouri and his post-game comments as well. So they're all big, but I think this is the biggest game of the year for us this year. They're all big, but this is the biggest one. Um, so, you know, why is that? Uh, Missouri is, um, right now, according to bracketology, a seven seed, uh, we're an eight seed, uh, we're tied with them and Kentucky, we're in a three-way tie for fourth place. Uh, the winner tomorrow potentially could wake up in third place when it comes to how many go out of the SEC. Is it six? Is it seven? What is it going to be? Clearly Auburn, Missouri. You know, Kentucky, who right now are all tied for fourth in that situation with, you know, Florida and Vanderbilt one game behind and as well as Arkansas. I mean, there's a lot of lot in the mix. So this is a must win for us. Coach Pearl talked about that must win. And again, he must have been rubble on his crystal ball because the final score, Auburn really opened it up in the first half and wound up winning that game 89-56 to over the Missouri Tigers. It improves Auburn to 18-8 and overall and drops Missouri to 19-7. and And then when you start looking at the standings now for the Auburn Tigers, it, one win, it's amazing what one win in the SEC can do for you because now with that win, Auburn overall at 8-5 and five and again sitting right there in fourth place with some huge games upcoming for the Auburn Tigers. And we talked about that must win yesterday. Coach Pearl talked about it being a must win. And I know he had some great things to say about his team following last night's big win over the Missouri Tigers. But, you know, I always told you guys, we're going to be honest with you and I want to be honest with my team. Um, you know, we got a chance to finish, you know, tied for third or fourth tonight, or we could finish eighth or ninth after the outcome tonight. That's just the, the reality of it. And so I wanted my guys to understand that. They did. Um, you know, I was really, really um, proud of the guys because they'd worked so hard the last couple of weeks we played better, um, but with no reward. And then you stack on top of it, another good team coming in, another tough preparation. Our guys are tired. They're I tell you, they're tired. Um, you look at the road that we've had, whether it be at you know at Texas A&M and then you know, and at Tennessee and and in Alabama at home, and there, there's a lot of. Those are great teams, physical teams, a lot of travel, and then the short prep after the Alabama game. It was it was a tough couple of days. So they'll get the day off. They'll get the day off tomorrow, and they've earned it. Well, I know they definitely have earned it, and that day off would be today for the Auburn Tigers. And when you start again looking at what Auburn has remaining on their schedule this coming Saturday, Auburn 
travels to Nashville and we'll be playing the Vanderbilt Commodores. And I know, Michael, that if you're an Auburn Tiger fan, and I, I really do believe in what Bruce Pearl has and what he's established and part of that culture, you have to be extremely happy with the tempo and the way that Auburn came out and established it out of the gates last night. No doubt. I, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how critical this game was for Auburn. Is Auburn a team on the bubble? And the reality of the situation was with six games left, they absolutely were going into last night. And Missouri is not a pushover of a team. This was not a game. They were favored by, I believe it was like six points. It's not like this is a team like Ole Miss or LSU that is, you know, I hate to just jump on them, but that's the reality of the SEC this season. Uh you weren't just going to come come in and uh, be pushed over, but they were up 45-18 to 18 at halftime. I mean, Auburn came out, and like like uh, Coach Pearl said, they they answered the bell last night. They, they, uh, they took care of business. And, and here's the thing about Auburn's faithful, and as you continue to win and have the success that the Tigers have had the last few years, you're going to sell out. It was a sold-out Neville Arena last night, and you can just see the type of, atmosphere that KD Johnson and Johnny Broom all played with in the first half and, and when you have that type of lead it, it, it's just suffocating and when you go into the locker room trying to figure out what you're going to do as Missouri you just try to chip away at it one possession at a time but that that lead was just too insurmountable and I still say it I think Alan Flanagan is Definitely the secret weapon and the secret sauce is he plays well, so do the Auburn Tigers. And I, I know that last night he shot the ball extremely well, six out of seven um, and one for two from the field, 16 total points. But when he's playing well, it's just another added arsenal for the Auburn Tigers to where they they become very dangerous and again they moved from sixth or seventh place all the way into fourth place and we know that first round of the SEC tournament you get those buys and that's critical especially with Bruce Pearl talking about how beat up and how tired his team really is yeah the conference didn't do the Tigers any any favor scheduling wise I mean we've talked about obviously Last night was beyond winnable. Uh, next game at Vanderbilt, not an easy game by any stretch, but should be beyond winnable. And then at the at that point, uh, Ole, Mi Ole Miss is – you got to beat Ole Miss at home. I believe that's at home, not in Oxford. So, uh, But after that, like we've said, it's at Kentucky, at Alabama, and then home for Tennessee. So, I, I, I mean – to have probably the most difficult three games of your SEC schedule to finish the season is is tough, and and that's just the way the cookie crumbled for Auburn. I mean, it wouldn't have made a difference had they had they played a difficult non-conference schedule. Um, that's just the way the SEC uh, scheduled them. So I, I I don't I mean. What did we say yesterday? They need to go probably four and two over these last absolutely six over the last six to at least lock up a uh, an NCAA tournament bid going into the SEC tournament. Uh, so, I mean, last night's a good start. You you go and you go and beat Vanderbilt this weekend. You handle your business, which they should, they will, and then you get, handle Ole Miss, which again they will. 
you get off to a 3-0 start, they'll, they'll win one of those last three games. I, I like their chances to beat Tennessee at home the last game of the season. I uh, think they probably give Kentucky a game. They're, I really don't think they're going to beat Alabama in Coleman Coliseum. But if you can go 4-2, and 5-1 and one over those last six and leave no doubt about your resume headed into the SEC tournament, because you don't want to put yourself in, the, in a situation where, all right, if we play a bad game in the first round of the SEC tournament and get bounced, we it's a question mark and you don't you don't want to leave it you don't want to leave it up to that well again you start talking about the standings of course alabama since at the top of the sec and they're followed by texas a&m with tennessee in third place auburn now in fourth and kentucky right there at fifth at seven and five and then that's where that big time win for auburn over Missouri comes into effect because you're right in sixth place and behind them are the Vanderbilt Commodores and Auburn has an opportunity to go ahead and leapfrog all of those teams that are behind them because they still have these teams on their schedule but when you start looking at Auburn moving forward I know that I just think that just like we talked about yesterday with Kentucky. I think Kentucky's best basketball is yet still in front of them. I still think that they'll find a way and make a push for that SEC tournament. And anytime you start talking about Big Blue Nation, it's a reason to be scared if you're the opponents because you never know what Kentucky team is going to show up. Well, that's the other side of the sword there because – Kentucky's right in that first four out right now, uh, essentially headed into this week. So, yeah, K Kentucky is going to need a win like Auburn. to. I, and I don't have Kentucky's uh, remaining schedule in front of me, but I, I don't believe they have the easiest of, of – I mean, they're at Mississippi State tonight. They're they're underdogs in that game. That's that that's a game you probably lose. So And then after that, they, ha they have another one against Tennessee at home, who they have already beaten, so it's tough to beat a team twice. Then you're at Florida. Then you have Auburn. Then you have Vanderbilt. And you conclude at Arkansas. Kentucky is another team that they're no guarantee to make the tournament at all. No, we, we talked about that yesterday. The Big Blue Nation, like you said, Mississippi State still on the schedule. Tennessee and Kentucky, Kentucky and Florida, Auburn and Kentucky right at the end of February and moving into March. Kentucky has Vanderbilt and Arkansas remaining. So I mean, these are games you have to win. They, they, they are. For Kentucky, those are, as far as from a seeding standpoint, that you definitely want to go ahead and set yourself up for success moving into that SEC tournament. We mentioned a little bit about what was going on with high school basketball with the regionals and the sub-regional boys play that was played last night. A possible local umpire strike, that's kind of late-breaking news within the last 24 hours because we want our high school athletes to be able to participate, and we'll dive more into that as the show goes on about some local umpires. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner behind the glass, joining you on this final drive. And it's a pleasure to be joined by Coastal Alabama Community College's athletic director. And they have three campuses that Daniel Head oversees, Coastal Bruton, Monroeville, and the Baymanette campuses. Coach Ed, good afternoon, and welcome to the final drive. Uh, 
Good afternoon, Corey. Uh, good, to, good to talk to you guys. How y'all doing this afternoon? Doing outstanding, sir. I tell you, you have a tall task at hand, being the athletic director of three campuses that all have the same type of brand underneath the CoastalSunChiefs.com website. But when you're look overlooking three campuses in Coastal Bruton, Monroeville, and Bay Manette, there is a big basketball game that is being played on your campus, which is your Bay Manette campus. And I think your Sun Chiefs are playing Chattahoochee Valley tonight, both the men and the women. Yep, that is correct. We've got a, a really uh, a big big opportunity for both our men's and women's teams to play. Um, Chattahoochee Valley women's teams coming in as the number one uh, team in the conference right now in first place. And uh, Sun Chiefs uh, coached by a local name here that a lot of guys will know uh, from the area in his first year, Cedric Yelding. Um, former South Alabama Jaguar and uh, Daphne High School coach. He's now the head coach of our women's program, and he's done a great job in his first year. Um, they are right now in third place in the conference and uh, two games behind Chattahoochee Valley for first. So this is a good opportunity for them to come back to get them at our home gym tonight and have a chance to uh, close the gap on the lead there for, for the uh, Sun Chiefs. Well, the Sun Chiefs have so much going on on different campuses. I mean, they offer cheerleading and baseball, men and women's basketball, golf, tennis, softball, as well as volleyball. So there's multiple sports that our student athletes and really all listeners that have children or are looking to attend a fine two-year institution can have the opportunity to further their high school playing careers. We have uh, we have a lot of options uh, going on, and what and what we have at Coastal is we you know it, it's a big brand right now. We were we it used to be Jeff Davis Community College in Brute and Alabama Southern Community College in Monroeville and Faulkner State in Babinette. Five, seven eight years ago, we combined the Coastal Alabama, but we maintained athletic departments on each campus. So currently, we have three we have three baseball teams, so one on each campus, three softball teams. We have basketball in Monroeville and Babinette. We have volleyball in Bruton and Baymanette. Um, we're starting a, a cross-country program in Bruton. We're starting a men's and women's golf program in Bruton. We're starting a men's and women's tennis program in Roval. Um, and we're, you know, like I said, we're still functioning the nine programs that we have in Baymanette. So we're going to have 22 programs, uh, athletic teams between the three um, footprints starting next fall. So we've got a lot, a lot of great things happening uh, at Coastal in our athletic department. We're speaking with Daniel Head, the athletic director for coastal alabama community colleges and that's plural because you just mentioned the three branches of the institutions that you oversee now with basketball getting ready to wind down we mentioned that there's a huge game that's going to be at jack robinson arena with that being said a lot of people aren't familiar with a year from now jack robinson arena will be getting a total renovation and a nice new facelift Yes, yes. We're currently in the process of a, a major re renovation on Jack Robertson Arena, um, obviously named after Coach Jack Robertson and over 40 years of institutions and at every Hall of Fame at the junior college level that you could possibly uh, get into uh, with his great career. But um, 
it's long overdue. The building was built in the 60s, and, and, and we just had a lot of issues, and we're, we're going to try to modernize that with a lot of nice touches. And, and we're hoping, uh, you know, this fall, when we start our fall sports, that everything will be ready to go with the new new addition. Uh, we've been working on renovations out, outside of the, the actual gym floor and weight room that, you know, that we're currently still utilizing because we're in season, but the whole, all the offices and lobby and all that is currently under construction. And as soon as uh, basketball season is over, we'll uh, add that next phase where we, you know, redo the inside of the, the gym and bleachers and weight room and all that stuff. So there's a lot of, a lot of exciting things going on at all three of our campuses right now. But that's kind of the, 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 the big, uh, I guess, diving in the rough right now is, is uh, that, that new gym that we, we have that will be here for us next fall. Not only basketball going on tonight, as you mentioned, Cedric Yielding, the head women's coach there at Coastal Alabama South. You also have softball and baseball that are getting ready to get started and really have already started some games that have already been played. I know you have to be excited to see all the Coastal Alabama or that brand get that started also. Right, yeah. We, we uh, Coach Mallory Radwich is our head softball coach in Bateman Ed, and they're coming off back-to-back uh, -back conference championships and and uh, we're excited to see what the team's going to have in store for this upcoming season. But they're year in, year out, one of the top programs in Alabama and in the southeast. And, and she does an outstanding job of, of, of developing our kids, their students. The team GPA was a 3.7 this fall. I mean, just great things like that. Uh, Brent Shelton is in his second year as head coach. Uh, he, uh, last season, uh, took them to a fourth-place finish in the conference, but then uh, got in the postseason and made a little run and made it to the, the semifinals to go to the World Series last year in his first year. So they finished strong, and, and they're excited about the future of that program. But uh, we're pumped about this basketball game tonight, too. We talked about Cedric with the, the women's game, and then we got the, the men's uh, team with Coach Robert Jack. Uh, Jack Robertson's son, Robbie Robertson, is uh, bringing they, – they're uh, probably playing as good as anybody in the state right now. They're tied for second with Chattahoochee Valley, two games behind uh, our Coastal Monroeville basketball team. But um, this is a huge game for them tonight because it'll give them a game separation of, in the second place, which, you know, just gives them a better seed in the postseason. The top four teams in the conference make the tournament. But, uh, like I said, they're playing, they're playing some really good basketball. And Coach uh, Ben Hicks at Chattahoochee Valley, who actually is a former coach at Coastal Alabama Monroeville, um, he, he, he does a great job. And it should be an exciting game tonight. So both games should be really, really uh, – it should be fun. It should be a great atmosphere, two great junior college basketball environments. And uh, if anybody has time to get out and come watch the games, it's no free of charge, no admission. Just come enjoy college basketball. And if you can't get there, then they're live streamed at www.jockjob.com. So all of our home games on every campus and every sport are live streamed. So we've got a lot going on. Game day today, and that's men and women's basketball on the campus of Coastal Alabama Community South. The Sun Chiefs, they take on Chattahoochee Valley. The women's game tips at 5.30, followed by the men's game at 7.30. Again, streaming live on jockjive.com. 
Daniel Head, I appreciate you giving me some time this afternoon here on the final drive and look forward to diving in and talking with some of your players and coaches as we move forward here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Daniel Head joining us this afternoon, giving us an update. If you want to see some great hoops tonight, go out to Bay Minette, Alabama and support Coastal Alabama's Sun Chiefs at 5.30 and 7.30. Coming up next, we have Eric Kane from Locked On Vols talking about the big matchup between the Tennessee Volunteers and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Coming up next here on The Final Drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Hey, this is David Morse of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. Welcome back to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner behind the glass joining you this Wednesday afternoon and we had some SEC hoops action that kept us busy yesterday and last night on Valentine's Day but today you're at 6 o'clock p.m. on ESPN2 a game you'll be able to hear right here on WNSP 105.5 you have the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide taking on the number 1010 team team in the country the Tennessee Volunteers the Volunteers come off of a couple of stunning losses buzzer beater style one to Vanderbilt their robbery and then you turn around and this past weekend they lose to the Missouri Tigers Eric Kane has been locked on the Vols and he's on locked on Vols Eric good afternoon and thanks for joining us this afternoon on the final drive yeah happy to be here Tell us a little bit about what you're expecting to see tonight in this Tennessee Volunteers team. They've dropped a couple of heartbreakers. Tennessee was ranked almost number one in the country uh, of just a couple of weeks ago, and now you see they've kind of fallen on some tough times, but they're looking to try to give Alabama the blues at 6 o'clock tonight. Yeah, a lot can change in two weeks, right? I mean, you know, Tennessee was coming off that big-time win over Texas, scored over 70 points, is looking really good, right number two in the country. And then you drop three of your last four, uh, an inexcusable loss down in Florida, um, a loss at the – you, you barely get by Auburn, which was the quad one win, but the offense uh, did not have a good showing, and that was a game that kind of set – Set back the, the sport of basketball by a couple of years, but did get that win, and then you lose at the buzzer and back-to-back games against Vanderbilt and Missouri. Um, it's just not been great, to be completely honest. In the last two games, uh, albeit Missouri and Vanderbilt are not great defensive teams, but the offense hasn't been the issue. It's been the perimeter defense, and, and those teams were shooting uh, just red hot from beyond the three-point line. And so it's been a little a frustration there for, for Tennessee, and of course the injuries are starting to pile up now. We'll see if you know there's reports out there um, as, as early or as late as today, saying that Josiah Jordan James will uh, likely be out of this game and Julian Phillips will be a game time decision. Tennessee was out both of those guys in the second half against Missouri, where they did mount a 17 point comeback. So it's been pretty tough for Tennessee, but I expect, you know, they're going to check her uh, Thompson Bowling Arena tonight. Um, there should be a really good crowd on hand. It's 
Tennessee's won five of its last uh, matchups against top ten ranked opponents. Um, Alabama's won the last three games in this series. But I'm expecting uh, Tennessee to try to bounce back and try to figure it out. Still the number one ranked defense in the country. Uh, but it's obviously going to be a tough test tonight. Six games remaining for the Tennessee Volunteers. And when you start looking at the standings in the Southeastern Conference, Tennessee is now four games back of the Alabama Crimson Tide and really two games back behind Texas A&M. But a win tonight against Alabama, what do you think that would do in regards to the psyche of this Tennessee Volunteers basketball program? Well, I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise uh, to them uh, if they win tonight, right? I mean, Tennessee played really well against Arizona, did drop that game, but has beaten Kansas this year, has, has beaten Texas this year. It's, it's got a couple, it's got four quad one wins. Um, you know, it, it's played in big time games and it's gotten big time performances from a number of different guys. Um, so it wouldn't be a shock whatsoever. It wouldn't be surprising to the guys that are going to be on that court tonight. But I think for the entire fan base, it'd be just kind of like a sigh of relief. Like, okay. Let's get our breath here. Uh, you got Kentucky coming up on Saturday. You got a big game against A&M coming up. You got to play Auburn again. Got to play Arkansas. I mean, really, when you look at that schedule, South Carolina is really the only game you feel really good about right now. But uh, it's just been some inconsistent play here from Tennessee. So um, it, it would improve a lot. It would help a lot. It would stop the bleeding. And, of course, this would be you know the, the best one of the season for Tennessee if they're able to pull this off against Alabama tonight. Um, but uh, a lot of things need to go well for Tennessee. You need to need to cut down on the perimeter defense. I mean, Alabama cannot shoot and make a ton of three pointers, and I know that you know Brandon Miller is really good at shooting three pointers, and so they're going to have to try to throw a number of different guys at him and try to slow him down. Maybe maybe let Miller score thirty and the rest of the team twenty five. I, I don't know, but um, <laughs> a win tonight would would certainly help things for Tennessee, uh, and, and they're capable of doing that. They just got to do it. Well, Eric, you brought up uh, Josiah Jordan-James already. It sounds like he is going to be out tonight, which probably defensively for, for Tennessee and uh, matching up against Brandon Miller sounds like it's going to be huge. Uh, obviously, Julian Phillips is a game-time decision as well as Charles Bidiaco for Alabama. So a lot of injury possibilities uh, storyline-wise for tonight. But who are some guys for Tennessee outside of Zakai Ziegler and Santiago Vescovi who, who are going to have to step up for Tennessee to win this one? I think if if um, if both of those guys are out, so again, it sounds like Josiah is probably going to be out, and we'll see about Julian Phillips. But if both of those guys are going to be out defensively, a guy that's going to play a lot tonight, and he is not an offensive threat whatsoever. It's a guy by the name of Jemai Mayshak. Jemai Mayshak's a guy that's going to, uh, you know, be asked to guard and try to slow down Brandon Miller a lot. And so, obviously, you know, that's that that's going to be his task if both those guys are out. But again, like I said, it's going to be. A number of different guys are going to have to try to just try to slow him down. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Tennessee has such great lineup flexibility when Josiah Jordan-James is in the ballgame. And so with him out, it doesn't allow them to do an awful lot of what they want to do. But the Kai Ziegler, you mentioned him, he's got to get back to playing like one of the best point guards in the country. And that's that's the level that he was playing two weeks ago when he was the SEC Player of the Week. He's had he's had a couple different double-doubles this season. Um but here lately, it's he's gone back into the just turning the basketball over and making silly fouls. He had a couple of silly fouls the other night that uh, just inexcusable. Santiago Vescovi is back-to-back games. He's been at the line to ice it for Tennessee, and he's come up short. And so I think that he, he's going to have to try to get past that mental hurdle a little bit to where 
Um, he's a guy that was shooting really well earlier this season to kind of begin the season. But it all goes back to Tennessee, just never consistent post-play offensively. Um, Olivier Cumball has been a guy that's you know shown out a couple of different times, especially against Texas, and, and then you don't hear from him for a while. Got some young guys like Jonas Adu and Toby Awaka who aren't the greatest offensive threats but play good defense and rebound the basketball. And then you have Uros Plosic that had a great game offensively against Kentucky but really hasn't done anything since. So inconsistent play from the big men. You've got to get somebody to step up and help Tennessee's backcourt players and Vescovy and Ziegler if they want to pull out this win tonight. I think that's going to be critical that you do get great guard play and you're able to try to grind and stop the Crimson Tide from playing at the pace that Nate Oates loves to play at. But Rick Barnes is a master, and again, there's nothing like playing in Knoxville and, and getting just what the doctor ordered because, I mean, Bruce Pearl and the Auburn Tigers had Alabama at the time ranked number three coming into the jungle and Neville Arena. Same thing with the Volunteers tonight. I think that having that opportunity is all you could ask for in college basketball to, to show off in front of your friends in front of your home fans. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's going to be a great atmosphere again. You know, fans uh, support this team. They get in there. They're loud. They're rowdy. They're going to, it's going to be orange and white all over Thompson Bowling Arena tonight, depending on where you're sitting. Um, it's going to be a great atmosphere. And again, I mean, what more can you ask? It's, it's another top 10 matchup. It's another top 10 matchup at home. It's going to be good basketball and hopefully a good basketball game. And again, it, it feels so distant right now because of how Tennessee's played the last two weeks. But this is still a, a, one of the better teams in the country, number 10. It's slid a little bit, but I feel like basketball this season is kind of wide open, to be completely honest. Um, you get in there and you get hot and you, you, you play well during tournament basketball. I think there's a number of teams that get advanced on to, to the rounds of the Elite Eight and to the Final Four. So it should be a great atmosphere tonight. Tennessee would love to bounce back, um, no pun intended, and, uh, and and play well and, and come away with a win here. Um, but, but, again, it's going to be difficult, and uh, Tennessee will have to get above – uh, yeah, it really have to get superb play from, from both Vescovy and Ziegler, especially with Josiah Jordan-James who's going to be out. And, and I'll stand by this again. Brandon Miller is, is phenomenal. So uh, Tennessee will try to slow him down, but not a whole lot of teams have slowed him down this season. Hopefully Tennessee can, can you know, slow down the rest of the team and try to make it close and, and make a play or two at the end there to, to pull out a win. No question about it. We're talking with Eric Kane, who covers the Vols, for the Locked On Vols daily podcast. And, Eric, you know, when you start looking at what Tennessee was able to do against Alabama in football and storm the field after that huge win that they had, of course, I think that there's not going to be enough security in Thompson Bowling Arena if the Vols are able to pull that off. And wouldn't that be a historic feat to be able to say that you stormed the field and the court against a top-ranked Crimson Tide team. <laughs> That'd be something, yeah. I I don't uh, I don't envision uh, if Tennessee pulls a win tonight, anybody storming the court. But uh, man, that was <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, so many fans, obviously. I mean, the rivalry's great. Third Saturday in October's uh, just a phenomenal college football rivalry, and, and for Tennessee to kind of break that streak of what was the guys fifteen in a row for Alabama? Fifteen in a row. Yes, sir. And, and for Tennessee to break that this past season with the performances was phenomenal. So there's no love lost between these two fan bases. Uh, there's nothing more than I think Tennessee fans would like to obviously having already knocked off Alabama in football. And, you know, 
try to set them back a few pegs as Alabama's having a, a really, really sharp basketball season as well. So, again, I, I think that will be uh, – it'll be a great environment tonight, and I'm really looking forward to watching it. Well, we know that bracketology is involved, and, and it's key in where you want to be seated and how close you want to be to home and who you're going to play. And most of the time when you do have a top-ranked team that comes into your building, I know that you know when Nick Saban walks in the building, when they play Auburn at home, do you expect Josh Heupel to attend tonight's game? Yeah, we'll see. You know, Heupel doesn't um, – you know, college football coaches obviously are super busy. He was at – I want to say two weeks ago he was at the game. Uh, man, I forgot who they were playing. They had a junior day on campus, and he went out there and he he took the mic and was pumping up the crowd and all that. You know, we'll see um, if, if he's if he's certainly around. Knows that this is a big time game. Maybe he'll make an appearance. But um, if he's in the house, obviously that'll get the fans up and going. I'll tell you somebody who would like to be at the game but will not be able to because he'll be on his way to Arizona would be the baseball coach, Tony Botello. Uh, he is a man of the people, and he goes to Tennessee basketball games, sits front row, and he wears a different jersey every time he goes. He was wearing a Sakai Ziegler jersey one time, and I think the last time he went, he was wearing an Uros Plofsitz jersey. He is a guy that gets the crowd fired up as well. So we'll see if Josh Heupel makes an appearance tonight. Obviously, it's a big-time game, but uh, Tennessee fans probably won't need any more reason to be loud. Well, as we transition from February frenzy into March madness, that definitely means that baseball is knocking at the door as a lot of colleges start officially on Friday or this weekend. Now, I know that when you start looking at the preseason top 10 polls, seven out of the 10 teams come out of the Southeastern Conference, and that just goes to speak on the strength of Southeastern Conference baseball, the way they beat up against one another. I know the Vols have one of the best pitching staffs when healthy in college baseball, and I know there's a lot of reason for the volunteers to be excited about this upcoming season. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Tennessee baseball, um, you know, six, seven years ago, uh, wouldn't be a lot of people in the stands over there at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, and it has completely changed under Tony Vitello year by year. And of course, uh, Tennessee made it to Omaha two years ago, and then last year was the nation's number one ranked team for so long, was the number one overall seed, and unfortunately fell in the finale of the Supers uh, before getting to Omaha. But uh, you bring back three of those starting pitchers and All Americans, and Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, who's going to be a top five pick in the draft, and. And Drew Bream, you add in some newcomers, you bring back some old heads as well. It's uh, it's an offense that loses so much firepower from last year, but returns guys who made spot starts or were DHs or played some then missed with injury. It's it's kind of unique. They return a lot from last year's team who played a lot, but they're all going to be new starters in the field. But uh, Maui Ahuna is a transfer from uh, Kansas, and he spent the summer with USA Baseball. Griffin Merritt was the AAC player of the year for Cincinnati. Uh, Tennessee's locked and loaded, but uh, usually in the, in the sport of baseball, you will go as far as your arms will take you, and Tennessee's arguably has the best pitching staff in America right now. And so it should be a pretty good year, and uh, looking forward to getting going. in Arizona for the MLB Desert Invitational tomorrow against Arizona, or uh, Friday against Arizona. 
It's going to be a great SEC baseball season. And again, where can people go to to see your coverage of the number two ranked Tennessee Volunteers, who possibly, as the first week in baseball ascends itself, may be number one ranked very early in the season? Yep, every day on the Locked On Vols podcast. You can find it on YouTube by subscribing and, of course, uh, finding it wherever you get your podcast, VolQuest.com. And uh, everything I do, I tweet out. So you can- Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And don't forget, we have the WNSP Days of Revelry. And Michael Brauner will take your call when you hear the Mardi Gras music. Make sure that you're the third caller when you hear that Mardi Gras music. And you'll win the prize pack from WNSP. We have our WNSP Days of Revelry. So make sure you tune in and listen for that Mardi Gras music so you can win that prize pack that's being offered here by WNSP. And at the top of the show, I talked about the local success of our basketball teams that are at Bill Harris Arena. And here, not just moments ago, the Fairhope boys basketball program advanced and they will go ahead and will play central of Phoenix city in the regional finals next week. And that's huge. When you start looking at our local teams, because again, the Daphne boys lost to central of Phoenix city, 73 to 52 and Fairhope had a big time win over Auburn 51 to 43 today. Also, you start looking at the Daphne girls. They defeated Auburn, who had made a couple of Final Four appearances. That won't happen again for the Auburn Tigers high school program as the Daphne girls program defeats Auburn 58 to 48 in local regional basketball. And again, the Daphne boys, they lost to Central of Phoenix City 73-52. to The Foley girls, they defeated Central of Phoenix City 56-40. to So you will take a look at the Daphne girls and the Foley girls playing one another for an opportunity to punch that ticket to Birmingham. And what we'll try to do here later on in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll try to get a hold of the Fairhope head boys basketball coach Solomon Johnson, who's just done an outstanding job with that program. And congratulations to the Pirates program. And congratulations to all our winners. We had some boys sub-regional basketball action last night, and I'll get you updated on who will be moving forward on that. And I briefly touched on the local high school baseball strike Uh, You have a new organization that's being formed by some local umpires called BB-103. They created their own organization, and it was based upon the need for the older officials felt that they wanted to go ahead and get a $10 pay increase, $15 on travel, and were already getting $80 a game. So they wanted to add a pay increase for travel. And that created a new organization to be 
formed. BB103 was formed for your local high school baseball. And again, it starts tomorrow, so we definitely had to get things started quickly because without officials, you can't play the game. Coming up next, we'll have a little golf for you. Tiger Woods taking the golf world by storm on his return. We'll get an update on what Tiger has in store this weekend. Coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Want to make sure you're buckled up for our next guest because he does an outstanding job of covering all PGA golf. And Ryan Belenji is our next guest. And when you start talking about Tiger Woods moving the needle in golf, Ryan, I don't think it gets any bigger than his return to the PGA Tour. No, it doesn't really. I mean, we haven't seen him play a professional golf tournament, a real professional golf tournament. I'm not saying anything against the match or the PNC Championship that he played with his son, Charlie, but a real PGA Tour event. We haven't seen that since last summer when he didn't play very well at the Open Championship. Sounds like he might have had a case of COVID if uh, Rory McIlroy's telling is any accurate. Uh, retelling of things, and we get him back this week as the host of a huge PGA Tour event, the Genesis Invitational, where the best courses on the PGA Tour, one of the best fields we're going to see all year that's not a major. I know you're the owner of Golf News Net, and again, having an opportunity just to see Tiger Woods move the needle in golf, whether we knew that he was going to play in the Masters, and that's kind of where I felt he was saving himself up to. But, again, it's some type of event. You have to knock the rust off, and I think that he's doing that this week. And I know the type of competitor that he is, having that Mamba mentality and that Michael Jordan killer assassin mentality. Every time Tiger tees up, he feels he has the win. Yeah, and he talked about it yesterday in the news conference he had before the tournament. He said, look, I'm not playing here to be ceremonial. I'm not here to have fun and uh, smile at the crowd and wave. And just because I'm the tournament host, I'm not, I don't feel an obligation to play. I'm here because I think I can beat these guys. And I'm not going to play golf at any level, at least at this point in his life, if I don't think I can win, if I don't think I can at least contend. And I think that tells you something about where he feels his health has gone from the, the car accident that happened here a couple of years ago that uh, that could have done a whole lot more damage to his life and maybe even ended it. And he feels maybe in a better position with his legs, maybe not so much his ankle, but that his gait's a little bit better. He gets around a little bit better. and we'll, we'll see what that looks like starting tomorrow. 
Well, again, he does open up tomorrow, and he will play his first two rounds with Justin Thomas and Roy McIlroy. And, again, when you start looking at trying to elevate or playing with two friends to where they're going to elevate your competition, these are two guys that I know he's real good friends with, but also they're super competitive. They are. I mean, they, they, Tiger has been a mentor to both of these guys, maybe in slightly different ways, but certainly has been very helpful to Justin Thomas. I think he thinks of uh, Justin Thomas as kind of a, a brother he maybe never had and almost kind of a, a godparent to his children in a way. And Rory McIlroy is someone who is maybe not taking the mantle from Tiger in terms of victories on the PGA Tour, but certainly taking the mantle in terms of leadership. And those two have come a long way since they last played together with Tiger in this tournament, what, four years ago when Rory and, and Justin Thomas both said, hey, look, playing with this guy is a half-shot penalty per round for each of us. And I don't know what that's going to amount to tomorrow and Friday, but I think those guys are also in a different place as well, and they'll probably be a little bit more on equal footing. We're talking to Ryan Ballinger, Golf News Net. Ryan, I, I know Tiger has said he doesn't want to play ceremonial golf and kind of just be there to be there. And if he is there, he's playing to win. I mean, you just said it, but at the same time, he also got asked yesterday if he's walked 72 holes over four days and he answered point blankly. No. So, so I just, how, how does he think realistically he can win this thing? If he hasn't even walked 72 holes of golf over four days. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely fair. And I, I think anyone uh, who is seen with maybe a little bit more clarity on our side of things, not his side of the mirror, um, can understand this is going to be a very difficult task for him to do really well. I mean, Riviera plays down into a valley, so it's not a particularly hilly golf course. I mean, once you get down off the first tee, after that, it's pretty flat. So it's not going to be that demanding compared to like an Augusta National, which is very hilly, lots of terrain up and down. Um, but even at the Open Championship, which is about as flat as it gets, I mean, he, he didn't necessarily have the best gait there ever has been. So um, it takes a lot out of you to walk 72 holes in four days, and you have to do it in a morning round and an afternoon round uh, from the first tee and the 10th tee. So there, there are different demands there. And then you got to get through a weekend. And if you make the cut, you know, kind of close to the number, you're playing early. It's not warm. I mean, warmth is Tiger's friend has been for a long time. The warmer it is, the better for him, which means the later his tea time is, the better for him because that means he gets the best of the sunshine assuming it's out. Yeah. So there's a lot a lot of factors at work here over the next few days in him making the cut, first of all, because there is a cut, top 65 in ties. And then once you get to the weekend, if you're not a contender, do you put yourself through all of this just for a you know $50,000 paycheck for a guy who's worth a billion dollars? I, I don't know. I, I'm very curious how much he might grind this thing out if he's tied for 40th going into the weekend. Yeah, I mean, one thing about Tiger, I, I think the biggest thing for him is to make the cut. That's ultimately why he's competing, and he wouldn't even introduce himself back into this competition if he didn't feel that he could take 72 holes. But I think the biggest thing is for him, as it continues to get warmer, if he does make that cut, 
having that later tea time definitely helps his back and the rest of his bones and joints because, again, he's had to make the adjustments since that tremendous and horrific car accident that really changed his life because, you know, just to see Tiger take a swing is miraculous in and of itself. But to see him saying, okay, I know what's coming in April, but having an opportunity just to go ahead and get a tune-up, so to speak, if he does make the cut, I think that gives him even more motivation to go ahead and say things are working the way I planned them to, even though I'm rusty. Yeah, for sure. And for a lot of the players on the PGA Tour, and, and this is rightly so, they make a correlation between how you do at Riviera and how you think you might do at Augusta National. There's a, a very strange, not strange, but a high correlation between those types of finishes at, at Riviera for whatever reason, which is a ball strikers golf course and Augusta National, which is kind of a similar profile, even though they look quite different. So I think Tiger's probably got that in the back of his mind, thinking, look, the only two majors I can win moving forward realistically are the Masters and the Open Championship. So he knows Augusta National better than anybody. So if he feels his game is in a good position to play that golf course well, he's going to feel good about where he needs to be a couple months from now when we get started with the Masters. We're speaking with Ryan Balingi, and when you start talking about, again, Tiger Woods being very selective of what he wants to participate in, regardless of whether he makes the cut or not with this particular program, what do you think is the next step for him as he prepares for the Masters? That's a good question. I think he's got maybe one tournament in him between now and the Masters, assuming there's no kind of medical hiccup between now and then, and that would be the Players' Championship. The biggest tournament on the PGA Tour, $25 million purse. He's won it a couple of times. It's one of those courses that's very vexing to him, one of the few that's very vexing to him that he just has a hard time figuring out year to year. But it's one he wants to support because he is also like – Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas have been very vocal in their opposition to live golf, and they want to kind of have a, a very strong front uh, to present the, their biggest tournament to the world, and they're going to do that at the Players' Championship next month. So I assume that's what he's going to do. That'll be his next event if he's healthy and capable, and then we'll see him again at the Masters. He doesn't usually like to play his way into uh, a major championship. He likes playing the schedule he likes to play. And then that's kind of the extent of it. So I would assume we see him one more time. And then, you know, depending on how things go this week, it, it might influence how he tries to play the Players' Championship. But either way, I think we'll see him one more time. Even seeing him one more time, I think that's any time you can see Tiger tee off, I think it's tremendous. You know, when you start talking about Tiger learning the way he did and becoming a childhood prodigy of golf, how far behind him do you think his son is? Because, again, you've seen them just have mirror images of each other, the way they approach the tee, the way they hit off the tee, their follow-through on their swing, the way they walk. Everything about them are just mirror images of one another. And I know Tiger had success when he was at Stanford and you know decided to take the collegiate route first, but – we're in a different generation now to where sometimes kids decide, hey, I, I don't even need college. I'm ready to go ahead and qualify. D do you see that envision for his son coming down anytime soon? 
I don't know. I mean, Charlie's a great player, uh, but he's not the junior golfer that Tiger Woods was. But also, as you mentioned, Tiger Woods played golf in a different era of junior golf when the, the fields weren't as great, the infrastructure and tournaments weren't as robust and as deep as they are now, as international certainly as they are now. So Charlie Woods faces a whole lot different level, much more difficult level of competition at the junior level than his father ever did. And that that doesn't diminish what Tiger Woods accomplishes as a junior golfer. It's just a little bit different. It's a different competitive atmosphere. And I think Tiger's dad, Earl, really instilled in Tiger that kind of killer instinct by force of this is our background. You need to be really – you need to be impossible to beat. You need to be so mentally tough because the world is tough, and you need to be tough as a golfer and as a person. I don't know if Tiger Woods necessarily teaches those same things to Charlie. Obviously, I'm not in the room when he's doing parenting with his kids, but I think he's trying to bring him along in a slightly different way and recognize that he does have some, obviously, physical gifts. He's got some incredible resources. Obviously, one of the greatest golfers of all time is his dad. Justin Thomas teaches him a fair amount. Justin Thomas' dad is also a teacher, helps him out a fair amount. So I think they're trying to bring him along a little bit more of a uh, – uh, maybe a more conventional curve toward professional golf, if that's something Charlie becomes interested in. But he's certainly capable of playing college golf, certainly capable of being an accomplished amateur player. But the difference between being Tiger Woods, 82-time PGA Tour winner, and whatever Charlie Woods chooses to be or whatever he wants to pursue, that's, that's a big gap. And a lot of that comes down to Charlie Woods and what he wants for his life. What is, do you know the payout on the purse if Tiger's able to have success this weekend. And I know the difference that I get asked all the time by people who are not golf aficionados is what's the difference between live golf and the PGA tour. The payout this week is the $20 million purse. And most weeks of the year, the winner gets 18% of that purse. So that this week is no exception, which means the winner gets 3.6 million dollars. Second place is $2.18 million dollars. And then third place is something like $1,024,000. I mean, we're talking big sums of money here relative to the way the PGA Tour has handled money in the past. Live Golf is uh, a $25 million purse every time out, $4 million to the winner. And everybody basically finishes in the top four or five is going to make a million bucks because they only have 48 players. And so they have less people to pay out. The PGA Tour pays out the top 65 in ties after a cut's made. So that could be 65 with a number. That could be 70. It could be 78. But they've got to account for more players they, they pay out to every week. So you do have a difference in style as well. I mean, the live golf events are shotgun start, which means they all start at the same time. So they're, they're trying to play kind of more quickly in a day than you would for a regular PGA Tour event where everyone tees off the first or 10th tee and they tee off in order and they tee off at different times. And then you've got just kind of a, a different atmosphere, I think, to most PGA Tour events than Live. I mean, Live is admittedly kind of leaning into the fact that it's meant to be a little bit louder and not quite as serious and uh, maybe a little bit more, I won't say fan-friendly, but youth-friendly in terms of expected fan behavior compared to the PGA Tour. And, and it's just kind of a little bit more laid back for better or for worse, right? Depending on how you feel about it. But the PGA tour has done, I think a pretty good job of recognizing that they can lean into being traditional professional golf while kind of loosening some things up, showing more sides of their superstars 
increasing the money available to the best players relative to the other players who play on the PGA Tour and create a scenario where they, they still have the, the most media attention, they still got the best golf tournament, uh, just maybe a little bit different presentation that we've grown accustomed to seeing. Ryan, I appreciate all the knowledge that... Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, Michael Brauner, taking your phone calls. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on the final drive. But it's been a very busy day for most of us, but a lot of us haven't had an opportunity to be on the hardwood, which is where Coach Solomon Johnson just got off of as his Fairhope Pirates boys basketball team was victorious today. Coach, congratulations on the win. Tell us all about it. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me on, man. Uh, it's just a big blessing to be able to be right where we are right now and be this far and being having a chance to go and play in the Elite Eight again. It, it was great. Hats off to the a well-coached, well-disciplined, all-around great Auburn team. Uh, they had me worried there for a while, but my kids fought back, um, and I couldn't be happy more. Coach, let's talk about 7A not having sub-region, and because of it, you guys jumped right from the area championship to where you guys were area champions. And if I'm not mistaken, is that four in a row or five? Uh, so that's, that's four in a row uh, area championships in the tournament. Then we won a share or won outright five in the in the regular season. So it's just been a blessing, man. It's been been blessing. We thank God for it all. Absolutely. And Coach Solomon Johnson again victorious today as they downed the Auburn Tigers fifty-one to forty-three in the seven A Central Regional semifinals, which will allow them to punch their ticket to the regional championship. And what that means is, Coach, playing in the regional championship means you're one game away. It's the Elite Eight of high school basketball. And, again, that's huge when you start talking about wanting to get back up to Birmingham, Alabama, where you guys represented a couple years ago. Yes, sir. No, I mean, it's, it's once again, a blessing to be able to get to this ball. It's a blessing to be this far. Uh, the other thing that we would just like to say, too, is that, like, um, you know, having to play against a central team that is, that is as good as they are, uh, we're just going to have to come prepared. But like you said, we've been there before. Uh, it's had an opportunity to punch our ticket and go to Birmingham and, and represent our region before. So we're just going to have to get back in the coaching room as coaches and watch and break down film and hit the hardwood hard and practice for these next couple of days and hopefully come with a game plan that allows us to, you know, be in that position again. Well, let's talk about being able to get that rest and to properly prepare because that's an added advantage of going up there and having an opportunity. When will you play Central of Phoenix City for that regional championship? Uh, so right now it's scheduled for Wednesday. Next Wednesday at 10:45. But if we have uh, inclement weather in the Birmingham area, it might get pushed back to Thursday. So we're just waiting around to see when that exactly will be. But uh, especially the when we're talking about having to play 
you know, on Wednesday of next week. Uh, just making sure that we first and foremost get the treatment that we need, uh, get our kids, you know, you know, in ice baths, you know, in yoga, making sure that they get their, you know, anything that's hurting, get that fixed so they're back in tip-top shape. And then after that, we can get a chance to, you know, like I said, get into that film room, break down and see what we're able to do to try to slow this high-powered offense uh, and central down and, you know, try to get back to where we need to be. Well, it's an opportunity for you to see Central of Phoenix City defeat the Daphne boys earlier today, 73-52. to 52. Of course, in our neck of the woods, we would have loved to have seen an all-Baldwin County final, very similar to what we're seeing on the girls' side. But with that being said, Coach, let's talk about some of the players on your team. I know you have a junior guard by the name of Spence Sims that a lot of people really haven't heard about. I mean, he's averaging over 20 points a game and has continued to improve. And people don't know this. If they didn't see you play this year, he hung a 40-piece on someone earlier this year, but he definitely leads the team in scoring. And you also have your quarterback, who I call Vanilla Vic, Caden Creel, who also is a very, very decent player as well for you. But when you start looking at those athletes that you have, talk about those two guys right there and who is leading your team. I mean, well, I mean, you said the most important two right there. I think it, first and foremost, it starts with Caden Creel. Uh, what you see on the football field is what you get from that cat on the basketball field, on the basketball court. He is, without a doubt, one of the most phenomenal athletes, but other than that, one of the most phenomenal leaders that you'll ever have. He makes my job as a coach so much easier because he's first in the gym. Uh, he holds guys accountable. Uh, like I said, he is a teammate. He can be goofy at times, but when we're in between those four lines, he's all about business. Once you follow up about that, you got to talk about Spence. And, I mean, Spence is the definition of a basketball player. I know that I was able to see and have uh, a kid like Ryan Leonard, who I think by far is probably one of the best players that I've ever coached. Uh, but, but Spence is every more of a basketball player than Riley is. Uh, and I mean that. He's he's a true professional when it comes to the game and working on his craft. He absolutely refuses to let somebody outwork him. So when you put a dynamic with those two kids on the floor, it, it makes my life a whole lot easier. And I can go on all the day, on all day, even talking about my bigs, uh, McCray Tall, uh, Andrew Taylor. Uh, you're talking about two kids that are, they may not be the biggest in size when it comes to weight, but they, they control the glass on the majority of the teams that we play, which makes, you know, getting that ball out in transition and getting our balls to our guards so much easier. Uh, but, I mean, I, the, the one thing that I do want to say about my entire team and about my, like, you know, everything that we got going on, is like they're a family. Um, and when you, have, when you have kids that are playing with, each other and for one another with that family mindset. It's a beautiful thing to see. I mean, we were down by eight going into halftime, and you would have thought that was the way that we were calm and uh, poised inside the locker room after being down by eight, that we had no worries because they knew that we'd faced adversity before, and they knew that they were going to go out there and fight for their brothers, and they were going to fight for each other. And I'm telling you, Mr. Corey, when you have a dynamic like that, 
I mean, I'm not saying that it's impossible to lose, but it's really, really tough to do so when you got kids like that. I tell you what, you do have a great group of young men who have played extremely tough, and you mentioned overcoming that eight-point halftime deficit and having to find a way to battle back. Your schedule has allowed you to be battle-tested throughout this entire season. What does your overall record now move to, Coach? Uh, right now we're 26-2. and two. Uh and like I said, you were right. Like our, our schedule has allowed us to be down, uh, uh, to be tested. Why be in those situations before? We've been in that that situation with a Baker team uh, that has a phenomenal player in LeBaron Fylamas on the other side of the bracket. We've also been in that uh, situation when we had the chance to play uh, Jackson, who's also uh, in the Sweet 16 in their uh, in their classification as well. Uh, so we, we've been able to play against really good teams all the way from 4 to 7A all year and put ourselves in situations where we've had to galvanize around one another and fight back and find ways to win. And I know that, uh, especially when I'm talking to some of my other coaching friends, especially uh, Coach Garrett at St. Paul, I, it's, it's a blessing to, to be able to have individuals that you know as coaches be able to challenge you with their teams and like to be able to so push you around and make you think on your feet as a coach because at the end of the day, uh, he's in 4A, I'm in 7A, and then we're we're both I think being really successful because of that partnership and because of how our teams have been able to push each other when we play. And I don't mean that just for him; I mean that for the majority of the uh, the teams that we play. But that was just one example. Coach Johnson, Solomon Johnson, the head boys basketball coach at Fairhope High School, joining us this afternoon as his team overcame an eight-point deficit and had a huge win over Auburn. 51-43 to was the final score. And, Coach, one little other thing that a lot of people don't know this year is because of the reclassification and how things worked, you guys had to travel all the way to Birmingham to play in the regional and then after outside of that, Baker's tra traveling to a different regional site so we could still possibly have two 7A teams that meet each other in Birmingham for the final four. Yes, sir. Well, hopefully we can do our part and get in there, but like I said, we just, we're happy to be here and hopefully we're blessed enough to continue to win. Solomon Johnson, congratulations on the win today. Wish you the best. You guys get home safely and stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. SP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We want to thank Coach Solomon Johnson and congratulate him as well for joining us this afternoon on the final drive as his team was victorious today and punching their ticket into one week from now to the regional finals and, again, the Elite Eight in 7A and you can always give us a call here, 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us on the final drive, 251-694-1055. And I know 
Jason is on the line. He's been patiently waiting. Good afternoon, Jason, and welcome to the final drive. Oh, what's going on, guys? Another beautiful day, my brother. Another beautiful day. How's it going? Good, man. I I, I just wanted to see what y'all thought. How many games could we could Alabama drop and still keep our our number one seed? I'm I'm thinking it's not many, but Are I you think we could lose. Jason, number one, uh, as in just having a number one seed, or, or number one overall, as in uh, playing in Birmingham, uh, guaranteed. One, yeah, number one overall. Yeah, it's staying ahead of I guess, uh, the I Purdue's. Guess either way, either way. Though. Okay. Well, you you know you, you really you look at you have Tennessee tonight, and and you, you're kind of a push there. You're favored to win that by three and a half, but you definitely take care of Georgia. You take care of South Carolina. Arkansas is a scary competitor. You, you, Auburn's Auburn. When Alabama and Auburn play, even though that's in Coleman Coliseum, anything to happen in Texas A&M is ranked second right now in the Southeastern Conference standing. So I'm thinking, you know, to hold your, your number one overall seed with the six games that are remaining on the schedule, you definitely want to win four out of the next six for sure because that would guarantee you – I. I it would guarantee you a double buy in the SEC tournament, but it would also go ahead and say, all right, for some reason you don't play well in the SEC tournament, you would still say, okay, how did they finish? And overall their last 10 games, I think that Alabama will be just fine. And I still think that, again, I think they can drop two games and still be a number one seed with their remaining six games on the regular season schedule. Yeah, I, I kind of thought too also as the max, but I don't know, they're playing pretty well, man. I, I, I mean, I don't want to be overconfident, but yeah. playing pretty good. Yeah, I think tonight, Jason, is uh, without a doubt the last game of the regular season that they'll be underdogs in. They're, they're, uh, they're three-point underdogs tonight uh, on the road in Knoxville. So that this is the last time that'll be the case. I mean, you really want to win tonight, and, and I think winning tonight would go a long way in terms of locking that up even if you do have a disappointing finish in the SEC tournament. So I think you win tonight. If you win tonight, the prospect of going undefeated in the SEC becomes a, a very real possibility. So I, I, I think there, the question, that answer becomes more clear tomorrow. But I think if you drop tonight, which they very well could, uh, at that point, you you, you want to go f at worst case four and one over the over the final five there and then make a little run in the SEC tournament where you at least make the uh, the championship game there and then and then I think I to, it, it would take quite 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 a bit for them to lose uh, for them to drop to a two seed I I just don't see it happening at this point. Yeah, I'd love to see them come out and win by ten points and right take care of business. Well, I mean, when you That'd start, be really nice. I, I, I agree that that you wanted them to take care of business tonight. And again, being a three point underdog, I, I think I said that Alabama was favored. I, I I did look at that wrong. And you you Tennessee is favored by three to win that game, and that just goes to show the amount of love that Tennessee is getting with the fact that they're playing at home. But with Alabama's remaining schedule, again, the last six games. Arkansas is always scary. And then when you start talking about ending the season against Texas A&M and when you start looking at the standings in the Southeastern Conference, Alabama has a two-game lead 
on Texas A&M, you're really on, you're really banking on on handling your own business and controlling your own destiny, not only to set up a number one seed in the SEC tournament, but making history and having an opportunity to play in front of your own Birmingham crowd there as the tournament starts for March Madness. I appreciate y'all's answers, man. I, I'm just happy we get to have this discussion. <laughs> I mean, how good is it? How good is this? It was unfathomable, you know, two years ago. Two, I mean, a year ago, Jason, we we were uh, th- there was ridiculous conversation after the Notre Dame game. If if we need to have a conversation about Coach Oates, and of course now they uh, they're undergoing the best season in program history. So yes, it, it'll make you smile. And they'll take a step back next season un- unavoidably. It it just is what it is. But enjoy the ride while we can. We'll uh, we'll see just how far they can make it. All right, I agree. Appreciate it. appreciate the call, Jason. Yeah, Ar- Arkansas is an interesting one too because uh, they they did lose their last game to Mississippi State, but keep an eye on them down the stretch. I, I'm I don't know if he's come back yet. I know he returned to practice. Their star freshman Nick Smith Jr., who's a, supposed to be a top ten pick, he was out for most of the season. A lot of people were saying he was going to pull a a Kyrie and kind of just not play, which you, you can't blame him for because he's going to be a top ten pick no matter what. But he returned to practice, supposed to be playing. Arkansas is a team. They had won six of their last seven before the loss to Mississippi State. The only loss was on the road to Baylor in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. They've been playing some good basketball lately. They got a huge game tonight on the road against Texas A&M. And, and that's a matchup again. Arkansas at 17-8. and eight. I, I think they're, they're just one of those dangerous teams to where if, if Arkansas plays well, with them having their schedule, it, it's amazing here how Tennessee's schedule is set up down the stretch, how A&M's schedule is set up down the stretch to where they can make and catch up and make a lot of ground here because Arkansas and A&M on ESPN2 following the Alabama-Tennessee game. And then when you look at Arkansas still playing Alabama on the 25th of February and then to end the month of February still playing the Tennessee Volunteers, you can make up a lot of room there for what you want to do in regards to catching up. And Council, the fourth, has to play. Ricky Council, the fourth, has to play outstanding basketball for the Arkansas Razorbacks, for them to continue to be a contender. I mean, he, he's averaging 35 and a half minutes and leads the Hogs in scoring at 16.9 points per game. And Barry Dunning Jr. is one of those phenomenal freshman that they recruited in right here from McGill Tulin High School and you start looking at the games that Barry Dunning Jr. has played only 13 games he's played in averaging only three and a half minutes per game that just goes to speak on the type of talent that was brought in by Coach Musselman and the Razorbacks and they're just going to be a tall order tonight for Texas A&M and I look forward to watching that contest right after the Alabama-Tennessee game. Yeah, Smith actually did come back last game. Not that I'm looking at it for for the Razorbacks and played like 17 minutes. And obviously, it's you know he's an 18, 19 year old kid who hasn't played the entire season, so it, it, it he didn't. I think he only had like five points and and a rebound and an assist. But for that that that's a huge that because that that changes that entire. Uh, that the makeup of that entire team. They lost Trayvon Brazil 
earlier in the season. I, I think he's out for the season. I think it was an ACL or something like that. Uh, so they knew they weren't getting him back. But to get Nick Smith back, I mean, the Arkansas team that Alabama is going to play next Saturday is not the same Arkansas team that they beat in Fayetteville a, uh, about a month ago. I agree with you. And Nick Smith Jr., you know, 17 minutes coming off any type of injury it is it's significant minutes, especially when you look at the number of minutes and how Coach Musselman shares. And when you start talking about the starting lineup, you know, the most minutes that are played by any hog is 37 and 37. And by, that's by their leading scores in the next. You're looking at playing 35 and 26 minutes, Michael. But I, I, I'm starting to look at the overall rankings uh, that or the schedules that are left. And I just mentioned Tennessee has a very tough schedule remaining. Alabama, no favors given there. Bruce Pearl has already mentioned Auburn's schedule is the toughest it's ever been down the stretch. And controlling your own destiny is in all of these SEC teams because when you start looking at top to bottom, the Southeastern Conference – you start to wonder how many bids they will get to the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, it's not going to be a lot. Maybe maybe four ish. Uh, that 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 might be uh that might be an overestimation. The the SEC has as a conference, I would say. I mean, obviously, teams like Alabama have overperformed, but overall, as a conference, the SEC has not been. Uh, anywhere near one of the best conferences in college. But, I mean, Alabama obviously is a lock. Tennessee obviously is a lock. You have to think A&M is probably a lock to get in. Auburn, you you think, probably gets in. Uh, that's that's four right there. Kentucky's right on that bubble. I, I don't think Missouri is going to get in, uh, barring barring a couple big wins for them down the stretch. I don't have their schedule in front of me. And Arkansas probably has a good shot. So, I mean, it might be closer to five or six. Six total last year included Tennessee, who won the Southeastern Conference Championship and had that automatic bid, but you had Kentucky and at-large. A&M a- 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 got screwed for they uh, they, for they, they intent, did for lack of a better word there and, and you we talked about it yesterday kentucky goes out early and in, in, in the first round of the ncaa tournament and crushes so many people's brackets a year ago and they were a number two seed in the east region auburn was an at-large bid a number two seed arkansas at-large, number four seed a year ago. LSU got into the NCAA tournament as a number six seed. And then, of course, Alabama got it at an at-large bid also one year ago. So six was what was in a year ago. We'll see if Alabama can win the automatic qualifier for the SEC or whether they can supersede the number of six from Southeastern Conference teams We'll see that upcoming. That's why I call it the February frenzy. And again, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Anybody can beat anybody, but they're jockeying for position. You're listening to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty. Taking your phone calls behind the glass. 251-694-1055 is Michael Bronner. We'll be right back here on WNSP. Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. And you're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile.
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. You can always give us a call here on the final drive at 251-694-1055. And Michael, one of the things that has snuck up on a lot of people and stole a lot of the Super Bowl thunder was all the NBA trades and all the deadlines and the new teams, the comings and the goings, which all lead to All-Star Weekend, which is this weekend. And I know growing up when I was a kid, All-Star Weekend, NBA All-Star Weekend, I couldn't wait for it because you would have the NBA three-point contest, you would have the slam dunk contest, and you would have the Legends game. And that's something I wish the NBA would really go back to is the Legends game because that's how you really learn the roots of basketball. And for those who never got a chance to see some of these Hall of Famers play, some of them still have it, some of them still play to this day. But the slam dunk contest as of recent years has been an absolute dud. I I mean, I really – you just – you're like, okay – How long are you going to give guys to make a slam dunk? And and are they even going to make it? Because when you have Levine's and Aaron Gordon's 2016 epic slam dunk contest, it was hard to top that. It's just one of those that you wanted to walk off and not see another one. And from a three-point shooting contest, you always love to see Curry shoot and be in it. Um, Or Thompson Clay Thompson shooting be in it. And I know growing up, I knew when Larry Legend lined up behind the line, it was over. Uh, anybody who shoots with your warm-up top on, y- you already know that they're there to win it. But the slam dunk contest this year, when you start looking at who's going to have an opportunity to participate in it, K.J. Martin from the Houston Rockets, Mac McClung, from the Philadelphia 76ers, Trey Murphy III from the New Orleans Pelicans and Jericho Sims from the New York Knicks. I I don't know any excitement at all about the NBA slam dunk contest with those names I just just threw out there for you? Not really. Like you said, it's been pretty watered down. I I think McClung is is a G League guy, right? Yeah. I I think that's the first time they're doing that. He was a... uh, he was an online sensation, you know, when I was early in high school. So I, I do know who he is based on that. And he was a solid college player. So I, I guess there's some excitement there, uh, but kind of feels like a desperate attempt by the NBA to inject some excitement into, like you said, what what is ultimately now it's a, a dying thing. Well, I, I just, again, when you start looking at the all-star game, you know, I don't mind the amount of points played because they really they don't rev it up until really the fourth quarter when they start talking about what's at stake. And when you start looking at how they change the format of the game, not a lot of defense. If you love, it's really w- what is going to be the over on the point spread there. And from a three-point shooting contest, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Kevin Huter, Tyler Hero, Halliburton, Buddy Hield. Anthony Simmons and McCainan from the Jazz. I, I, you know, if I had to pick one, I'm going to go Tatum. We'll see how that goes. But again, in the app, Larry Legend walked in and said, who's finishing second 
you, you love one of the purest shooters of all time talking about that, and that's exactly what you had. That's why the anticipation was there to see who could beat him. Nobody's going to beat our 5 o'clock guest. It's a homegrown product right here, Pritchard, Alabama. Aaron James, he is the new head football coach at Tuskegee University. We'll catch up with him and see how things are going for the Golden Tigers. Coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We've reached that 5 o'clock hour, folks, and we hope you've had a phenomenal and outstanding day. Don't forget to listen for that Mobile Mardi Gras reverie music, that WNSP Days of Reverie Mardi Gras music is what you want to listen for, and we'll take the third caller who will receive our prize package today. And again, here on the final drive, I talked about being local and loving local and saluting local, and you can't get any more local then the Tuskegee Golden Tigers head football coach, the newly named head football coach of the Tuskegee Golden Tigers, Aaron James, is a graduate of Tuskegee. He also played for Coach Ben Harris at Blunt High School. And Coach James, Coach Harris is listening to us this afternoon. He made sure to tell me to tell you hello Welcome to the final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Hey, I'm, I'm glad and excited for the invite. And I talked with Coach, Coach Harris earlier. We were texting earlier, so uh, I know he's listening. So I'm, I'm just very excited for the moment. Coach James, I want to thank you for the opportunity to talk to you about Tuskegee football because again you found yourself being a very successful student athlete at Blunt High School and went on to play quarterback for Tuskegee but when you recently watched this Super Bowl this past Sunday and you see a former Blunt High School player Kadarius Tony show up and show out from a receiving standpoint, catching that touchdown and then from making history with that 65-yard punt return, how proud were you of the purple and white? I was very excited. Um, he, actually, he's my, my first cousin's uh, nephew. And, um, you know, he's he's a friend of the family, and I was very excited for him. And he, his athleticism is just off the charts. Um, he can do special things when that ball is in his hand. So, I was excited for him, you know, to be a former uh, Blunt Leopard. And, uh, you know, the Leopard family is very excited. And, and I just I know he's just going to continue doing good things in the NFL. Well, I tell you what, you're doing great things at Tuskegee right now. The Golden Tigers this past season had an opportunity 
to play for the SIAC championship. Let's it, it came up a little short there, but you guys had a phenomenal season. I know that you were named the coach in waiting, and now it, that coach in waiting title has been removed from your name. Talk to us about what it means to go back to your alma mater and be the head coach and lead the young men into Abbott Memorial Alumni Stadium. First of all, I just want to thank God for just giving me, blessing me with this opportunity. And and my president, Dr. Charlotte Morris, and my AD, Reginald Ruffin, again, for giving me this opportunity to come back and lead these young men to be successful on and off the field. So, you know, this is where I, I played my my years at in collegially, and I'm just excited for it to get the ball rolling. And we just got got to finish the drill in 2023. Like you said, we, we got to the championship last year, but we didn't finish. So that's that's what we got stamped right now to finish the drill in 2023 and host up that trophy. One of the things that I know HBCUs, a, a lot of HBCU attention was brought by Deion Sanders at Jackson State and you choosing an HBCU. And I know that Tuskegee is a historic place. And again, coming here and being in the state of Alabama, tell folks why you chose Tuskegee when you left Blunt High School and why you decided to come back because I know you spent time at Miles College in Birmingham as well as Bethune-Cookman. Yes, my it's it's crazy. My recruiting process in high school, coming out of high school, was was real real, real interesting. Um, I committed. It's crazy. I committed with Texas Southern first, coming out of high school because I was a two sport guy. Uh, they they gave me the opportunity to play basketball as well, and um, and I came back from my visit, and I told my, my my parents, and they was like, uh, you made a, you committed already without talking with us. So they were just telling me to take my other visits, and it was something about Tuskegee that just I just fell in love with. It was just real, just welcoming, and the the student body was was just it felt like a family, and uh, you know just to come back and and coach these young men and and had the opportunity to you know saying to pull my all into these guys is just is just amazing. Well, you've definitely been able to have an opportunity to kind of get your feet wet, and you were the coach in waiting this past year. I think you were the offensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. And, again, you yeah. guys had a lot of success. But being the offensive coordinator and being a former quarterback yourself, talk to us about who you have coming back playing the quarterback position for you. And I seen this past year, this past signing day, you've you said, okay, I'm going to come down to my hometown of Pritchard and Mobile and make myself known once again from a Tuskegee standpoint. And you've had a couple of local guys who have stepped up and are, will be on your roster. Yes, we have returning at quarterback. We have um, two sophomores. Bryson Williams and Malik Davis, and actually a transfer that transferred from Alabama State, and then I ended up getting reaching out and getting a, a quarterback from the portal uh, from University of South Florida, and then um, the kid from from Alma Bryant, the quarterback as well, signed down from that area, and then two guys from Baker High School. So just trying to trying to reach back into the well into the port city and just grab some young men that I know can help this program um, succeed 
Well, you know, you're going to be successful without question, and that's evident by what you were able to accomplish this past year. I know you guys were undefeated in the conference and, again, playing for that SIAC championship. And I think, Coach, you mentioned the word portal and how the portal has changed. I know that's definitely been a huge benefit for you when you're going out on the recruiting trail and as young men are looking for places to call home. Yes, it's real tough for the for the high school kids because the, the transfer portal is is almost similar similar to I mean it's actually the junior college almost uh kids because you you gotta think about it. You you got a chance to get some young men that was able to play two or three years and then come in and help your, your program um, as an older young man, you know, an older guy um, in your program. And then you you mix a little bit of that with some high school kids. But now you're, you're looking at a numbers game with your scholarship. So if you're able to get five guys at the portal and then you can you can come in and, and get like three guys out of, out of high school, now you, you, like I said from the beginning, you're looking at a numbers game. It all it – all, what's going to fit your program and what you need at those those positions as well. Well, not only were you a winner at Blunt High School, you were also a winner. I mentioned that Tuskegee is your alma mater. You were 42-5 and five as a starter during your time as the star quarterback for Tuskegee from 98 to 01. And, again, when you start looking at being able to give back, to Tuskegee, you, you gave honor and mention to your president and those who have paved the way for you. But I, I want to talk to specifically about uh, somebody we talked about at the beginning of this interview and Ben Harris and, yeah. and what you were able to learn from Ben Harris as a player and then turn around when you decided to get into coaching some of what he taught you moving forward. Yes, uh, Ben Harris. He 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 doesn't get as much credit as, as needed. Uh, he's one of the, the greatest high school coaches in the state of Alabama, and uh, I learned a lot from him. You know, just playing a position, and he played the position as well, and just knowing everything. He's like a he's he's a second father to me, um, and and he's a second father to to a lot of young men that walk the halls of Blood High School. And like I said from the beginning, he doesn't get all the credit that is needed. But um, I, like I said, I learned a lot from him. And my high, my senior year, we ended up going undefeated. And I had a lot of accolades coming out of high school because of, you know, for Ben Harris. And when I moved on to the college uh, level, I ended up playing against him when he um, made that transition to the college level at Alabama State as alma mater. So, it was a bittersweet moment, you know, at that time when looking across the, the field and he was standing over there and, you know, on the other side of the field. But, uh, like I say, I, I, I call him at times when I need some, some information about some things. And, you know, we just um, – we, we he, he let me know the ins and outs of things. And, you know, I'm, I'm very humble and um, just grateful to have him, you know, in my life. When you start looking, people who don't know – Tuskegee's biggest robbery game, if you had to pick one to where you just say, look, 
this is the game that if you've never been to an HBCU game, if you've never mm -hmm. been on Tuskegee University's campus and you've never experienced yeah. what the Golden Tigers are all about, as a player, what game was that for you? And as a coach, what game do you have circled on your calendar? I know it's one game at a time, but just for those fans yeah. that you can be a fan of your own school as well and say, this is my biggest yeah. robbery. Well, I'm, I'm going to start off by saying this. The best game, the atmosphere at Tuskegee is just amazing. Um, you know, the shed be rocking, and we got new facilities and new field turf and everything. And this past season, homecoming was, they say it was 35,000 people in the stadium, but it had to be close to 50,000 people in that stadium. The homecoming was, was amazing. And uh, that's just, uh, if you ever get a chance, the listeners, if you ever get a chance to come down to Tuskegee uh, to a homecoming, it's just it's, it's second second to none, but first to none. Um, but the the number one team that our rival, well, they're back on the schedule now is Alabama State, the Turkey Day Classic. So we got them back on the on the on the schedule this year, and that's the that's the number one rival, you know, to get back on the on the on the schedule is um, it's going to be exciting. So I just can't wait. But the thing is, the number one team that we are penciled in right now is Fort Valley. That's the first game of the season, the Red Tails Classic. The Red Tails Classic. So that's Tails. what we're looking for. Yes, the Red Tails Classic. It'll be played in Montgomery, Alabama. Well, when you start looking at playing Alabama State, I know my best friend Gene Smith, he played basketball for Tuskegee in the 90s, and he was able to come home to Tuskegee for that homecoming, which has been, you, you mentioned, over 50,000 people sitting in the stands or tailgating, really just surrounding the stadium in regards to the environment. It's the first time since COVID that you guys have been able to have such a huge gathering there and and being able to see all the people, just the weather was fine. It was a little chilly, but at the same time, that's the weather that you expect right around homecoming time. Coach James, I, I know that your coaching mentality is one game at a time, and you know you just want to go ahead and take the next one, but I can't tell you how happy I am that someone from Pritchard, Alabama, a, a graduate of Blunt High School, is now the head football coach of historic HBCU Tuskegee University. And I know that the shed is going to continue to be rocking as you lead these young men, not only to outstanding athletic careers, but academic careers as well. And I just want to wish you the best moving forward. And if there's anything that we can do down here in Mobile, Alabama, especially here at WNSP to continue to help and promote the brand that is Tuskegee University, you please let us know. We'll do that. And I forgot to, to, to mention this as well. A lot of people don't know this, but Tuskegee is the winningest HBCU in the nation. And right now we're currently number three in, in academics in all of HBCU. So I just want to put that out there. Coach, I, I, again, I want you to put that out there again for those that, that missed what you just said, Coach. Those that missed what you just said in regards to HBCUs. Go ahead and say that one, yeah. one more time for us, Coach. Tuskegee University, we are the winningest HBCU in the
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joining you on the final drive along with Michael Brauner taking your phone calls at 251-694-1055. And today the Kansas City Chiefs continue to enjoy all of the reverie of winning the Super Bowl, and I guarantee tomorrow we'll have some some great audio of some of what the Kansas City Chiefs players had to say. And, you know, it's never too late to start looking ahead to the 2023-24 season in the NFL. And I, I just, when you have the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, it was easy to see who were the best two teams. And I mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs having their Super Bowl parade today. One of the things Patrick Mahomes' dad said after the Super Bowl win by his son, well, he he was on video having a, a, a nice cigar, and he said he was smoking him a Philly blunt. And I, I, I thought that that was pretty interesting in regards to his choice of words there. Um, you know, after they beat Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, he poked a little fun at Joe Burrow as well because we know Joe Cool, he, he's famous for smoking that victory cigar after LSU won the national championship. But the odds come out, and next year, you know, the Chiefs are right there at the top, but teams that are going to improve or get worse. The Minnesota Vikings uh, had an outstanding year this year. You start talking about the underachievement of the Tennessee Titans. I think that that was very disappointing for a lot of the Tennessee Titan fans. But anytime you have Derrick Henry and Roger McCreary now on that defensive side of the football, I I think that you're really going to have to find ways to improve that and you know Seattle they definitely with the trade of Russell Wilson away from the franchise we'll see if the Denver Broncos are able to get back on track and with the retirement of Tom Brady we'll see if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers what direction they start to go in also I know that when you look at free agency and the NFL draft that's getting ready to come up Michael A lot of teams, again, underachieved and a lot of teams overachieved when you start looking at the overall 2022-23 season. Yeah, probably no better example than uh, the Browns. I mean, the AFC West as a whole, a lot of people didn't pick Kansas City to win it uh, just because of the the strength of other teams in it and what they added up. People thought the Raiders were going to be good this year. People thought the Broncos were going to be good this year, and it, it, it just didn't happen. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say the Broncos were probably the biggest disappointment in the NFL this season. Uh, I, I think you'd be tough to argue anything else, honestly. Well, I, I just know that the changes that have to be made in the when you start looking at the, the draft that's coming up, you, you saw a little bit of a preview of that yesterday with the Colts owner talking about his love for one Bryce Young and the way he's able to play. They hire a new offensive coordinator, the Eagles, 
that is as uh, excuse me the Colts that is as well as the Cardinals hiring away the Eagles offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator so you're looking at the Eagles Sirianni having to replace everyone from a coordinator standpoint off a team that that made it to the Super Bowl I, I just start to wonder and that we're going to continue to speculate will Bryce Young be the first quarterback chosen or or will they go in a different direction with a quarterback from Ohio State, possibly? Uh, yeah, I, I've been hearing a lot about Will Levis as well. Uh, personally, obviously, I have some bias here, but I think you're foolish if you pass up on Bryce Young as the first quarterback off the board. But don't be surprised if it's Will Levis based on everything. I, it, it sounds like he's moving up draft boards and – We've talked about this a lot. It's just teams are trying to find that next guy with the big arm and ideal body type and can move around. And and Levis, I guess, is that in terms of the physical traits. But he wasn't a super productive uh, quarterback for Kentucky. He was good. He had a couple of he – he had some okay seasons. But, I mean, I, I think Bryce Young is almost a sure thing. I, if, he, if Bryce Young were, what, three, four inches taller – He'd be one of the best quarterback prospects on paper of all time. So, I, I understand the fear with him. It's just pass on him at your own risk. Well, again, we, we'll continue to talk free agency as the draft continues to appear. You know, one of the great things, again, about the Reese's Senior Bowl being right here in Mobile, Alabama, we get a chance to see where a lot of teams can fit their needs. And we will continue to see where a lot of those teams, as they continue to evaluate as the combine gets ready to come up in Indianapolis, as well as the draft here in April. I, I just think that when you start talking about restructuring your coaching staffs, offensively, defensively, you, you have to find certain fits that work into certain systems. And if you're not a fit for a certain system, then I think that's where as ownerships, we've seen owners make terrible mistakes. Uh, I mean, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys is another team that I, I think that at what point in time do you continue to say, all right, well, I'm ready to continue to roll with Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott as, as your quarterback. And, I know that Dak Prescott is loved by Jerry Jones, but uh, you're Walter Payton, NFL Man of the Year. But what production, at what point in time do you just totally gut the Cowboys roster uh, from top to bottom? You talked yesterday, Michael, about salary cap being a re you know an issue. So we'll see what happens here coming up as we approach the NFL Combine, free agency as well as the NFL Draft. We'll continue to touch on all those things right here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Don't want to miss the next interview. Another native, Mobile, Alabamian, coming back to the Port City, but he's coming back to play the South Alabama Jaguars. He is an assistant coach for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Nick Williams, former LaFleur prep standout, joins us next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. 
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joining you here along with Michael Bronner. And Michael, did we have a winner of the WNSP Days of Reverie? We did. Congratulations to Johnny. Thank you very much, guys, for calling in. We'll do uh, another one. Two more. You'll have two more opportunities tomorrow. So keep uh, keep on listening for that sounder. No question about it. And it's it's my privilege again to be joined by someone I'm, I've had an opportunity to know since his middle school playing days at Booker T. Washington Middle School here in Mobile, Alabama. Had an opportunity to coach him at LaFleur High School and watched him become the Alabama High School Player of the Year and was ranked as number as one of the greatest shooting guards in the country by ESPN.com and took us to a state championship and put a little bling bling on my finger. Um, and while he was with us, you know, a combined record of 126 and eight is what we had at LaFleur high school. And Nick Williams is now coaching at Southern Miss under coach Jay Ladner and the golden Eagles have one of the best teams in the country as they prepare to come into mobile, Alabama tomorrow and battle battle the South Alabama Jaguars. Nick, congratulations on a spectacular season so far by Southern miss and welcome to the final drive. Man, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. Um, I think you put a little bit too much sauce on them, them accolades there, but I'll take it. Hey, they are true accolades, my brother. You can't <laughs> argue with them because I saw them in black and white, and they are what they are. You know, you were good enough to, to leave LaFleur High School and be recruited by Indiana University, and that's one of the top programs in basketball at the time. And you decided to, to go to Indiana, and then you made that transfer. Before the transfer portal was a thing, over to play for Andy Kennedy and the Ole Miss Rebels. And I know you really had a great time with your time with Coach Kennedy in your playing days with Ole Miss. No, I did. Um, it was it was it was good to actually um, <clears throat> be back closer to home. Um, that that drive from um, Bloomington, Indiana, to Mobile wasn't a fun one. So um, it was it was it was always good to see family and friends at, at games when I played. So um, that wasn't the reason that I transferred, but um, it was it, you know it was a it was a it was a part of it that you know I was I was excited to to have once I made that decision to transfer. So um, I had a good time when I played for um, AK at Ole Miss. So um, it was it was a good thing for me and my family, you know, to, you know, see me play. Well, I, your family will get a chance to see you guys play tomorrow night against the South Alabama Jaguars. But before I get to where you currently are, we talked about you going to Indiana and then going on to play at Ole Miss. When you left Ole Miss – you played a little professional basketball overseas, but then you decided to go ahead and get into coaching. And I know that you and I both, one of our mentors, Otis Hughley, probably played a huge role. Coach Hughley is now the current head coach at Alabama A&M, but you go in and you have a chance to continue to coach with Andy Kennedy and have a lot of success there as an assistant coach there. And then you go the junior college route and spent three years at Northwest Mississippi Community College. 
Yeah, I, um, I was actually, you know, did some volunteer stuff after I finished playing with um, Jeffrey Pope when he was at Blunt, and now, you know, I did a year with him at LaFleur. Then I decided, you know, to go back to grad school, and I was at GA under AK at Ole Miss for two years. Um, well, his first year there, and then he would, he decided to resign. And then um, Kermit Davis, who's the coach there now, decided to, you know, they gave him the job, and he kept me on. And we actually made the NCAA tournament that year. Um, and the year before that, we were like 10 and 21 or something like that. And then the next year, we made the NCAA tournament. So it's kind of um, surreal now to, you know, be on the staff where and they won seven games last year, and now we're already at 23. Um, but yeah, I, I got my um my my graduate degree, um, and you know, went to Northwest for three years and, you know, had a chance to um coach some division one guys who well, they left there and, you know, went division one. So it was a learning experience. It was fun. I got a I got a um a lot of experience under my belt. Um and I think that, you know, propelled me to, you know, this year where we, you know, have some junior college guys and we have some guys, you know, we hit the transfer portal hard. So um, I would like to think that, that that played a big part in, you know, helping me be, you know, ready for what was, you know, ahead of me, you know, coming here. Well, I tell you what, Reed Green Coliseum, they had a whiteout the other night and I'm not quite sure what it holds, maybe 8,000, but I know that it was full to capacity of nothing but white shirts. And with with a record like 23 and four that you guys have, and when you start talking about the standings of the Sunbelt Conference, you guys are 12 and two, you know, you're 14 and 0 at home. Talk about the advantage that you guys have on the home court this year and how you've seen it grow. No, it's been exciting, especially the last few games where, um, you see, you see Reed Green start to get, you know, more full, more full. Um, but it was, it was tough in the beginning, man. Especially coming, like I said, coming, coming off of seven wins the previous year, it was, man. You can, you can drop a, a, a pin in there, and you can hear that thing bounce off the floor because it was so <laughs> empty. But we knew what, you know, coming into the season, what kind of team we had, and what, you know, what, you know, it could be. And um, we just knew it was going to be a slow grind, man. That, you know. That thing, you know, where we wanted to get it to, it wasn't going to be built overnight. We had to, we had to put wins together, you know. And um, you know, it started with getting a big win at Vandy earlier in the year, and um, we, it, it's kind of propelled us to where we are now. So we just, we knew, man, we got a bunch of um, veteran guys on our squad, no freshmen on our team. So we, these guys have been around the block a few times. So we knew it was going to be tough, but uh, we were ready for it in the beginning. And um, you know, we have what we have now. 23-4 and four is what the Southern Miss Golden Eagles are. And, again, they will be traveling to the Mitchell Center to play against the South Alabama Jaguars tomorrow night. And Austin Crowley is a, is a huge part of what you guys do. I mean, he averages 17 points a game and has been really, really effective. And, you know, South Alabama is no new team to you guys so far in regards to playing them. You guys played them a couple of weeks ago down in Hattiesburg, and you had a lot of success there. And, again, expecting another tough game from the Jaguars tomorrow as well. Absolutely. Um I've been knowing Richie for 
for a while. We've had talks, you know, obviously I was a JUCO coach and he's recruited some of some of our guys. But um yeah, they're 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 a good team, man. They kinda, you know, um had a tough schedule. They had a really tough schedule, a non conference schedule. And um they've played, you know, a lot of teams close, man. So we know what we're dealing with with them. We only beat them by four and it was nip and tuck. It was a tie game with a minute left in Hattiesburg. So we know exactly who they are. They know who we are. And man, all league games are tough, man. So um we we don't we don't really we don't look at it at all like, you know, we're playing a team who's down in the standings or their record. Because their record is deceiving. They've played Alabama. Like, you know, they've played some really, really good teams. So um, it's going to be tough tomorrow. But um, our guys are ready. We prepared all week for tomorrow. And um, we're just going to go in tomorrow, try to be tough, be physical, you know, and come out, you know, hopefully come out with a win. One of the players that you had a chance to play with at your time at Ole Miss was Marshall Henderson. And he's been one of the more energetic players in the history of the SEC. Talk to us about what it was like to play with Marshall Henderson. And I know when I was growing up, I watched – A.K. Andy Kennedy be able to shoot that thing from anywhere he wanted to for the UAB Blazers. So, so right. did they ever have shooting contest and practice at Ole Miss? And and who was the better shooter now? Because I, I I'm pretty much I'm going to go with Marshall Henderson as far as having better hops than A.K. had. Man, not, actually, man, my my entire time there, I didn't really see A.K. shoot it, man. You know, A.K. had all those knee surgeries when he played, so he didn't really, you know, move around as much. But, I mean, it was a blast playing with Marshall for the year that I did play with him. Um, I actually talked to him two weeks ago. They're doing the um, 10th year anniversary for our SEC championship Um um, SEC championship team, um, I think this weekend up there at Ole Miss, obviously I won't be able to attend that. But um, just talking to him, reminiscing, man, just talking about all the old times that we had. And um, um, it was fun playing with him. Um, but to get to the, the shooting, who's the better shooter? Uh, I, I know AK probably killed me if I said it wasn't him. So I have to go with <laughs> AK probably the better shooter. Well, well I would say this, Nick. Marshall was a gunner, man. So, you know, he got, he got a lot of them up. I don't think his percentage was that great. Right. Um, so um, I, I would probably say AK. Well, I will say this. You you weren't too shabby of a shooter yourself. And, again, watching your time from Booker T. Washington Middle School and, and wearing the glasses to evolve into Alfred Perkins helping you develop through your freshman year and playing with the rough and tough teams that you did at LaFleur High School, helping us win a state championship in 07 and then turning around and then becoming an SEC champion yourself. Really the only thing now is that national championship and the Sunbelt Conference championship to add to your resume. And I know that's what the Southern Miss Golden Eagles are looking to do one win at a time. Again, being 23 and four so far is your record. And Nick, I can't thank you enough for taking time to kind of recap your career and and catch up with you and definitely look forward to seeing you tomorrow take on the South Alabama Jaguars on that sideline. And you're a phenomenal father. 
You're a phenomenal role model, and you're one of the reasons that I love coaching, brother, because you get a chance to see the outcome of somebody doing things the right way. And Nick Williams, you've definitely done things the right way. I couldn't be any more happy for you and watching your career as a player and as a coach continue to grow and wish you the best of luck tomorrow night against the South Alabama Jaguars. Man, Corey, I, I appreciate um, those kind of words, man. I think, um, and I know we, you know, about to wrap it up, but I just want to say thank you, Um like, we weren't together a long time, and I wouldn't necessarily say you had your hands on me the whole time, but the the, the amount of time I did spend with you um, was very impactful to me. I learned a lot, um, and I can say I was one of the few people, you know, that came up into the program, um, that grew up in that area. Obviously, I wanted, I always wanted to go to the floor, and I always wanted to be, wanted to be remembered as one of those guys to come through and make an impact at LaFleur because of the rich basketball history and in the, the tradition there. Like, I, I wanted, I always wanted to, um, you know, be one of the guys' name when they talk about the greatest players that ever came through there. And I feel like it wouldn't have been possible without guys like you taking the time out to, you know, talk and help mold young guys like myself in the area that wasn't the best, you know. So um, I just want to say thank you, man, all my mentors, um, Jeffrey Pope, my boy Curvin, Lang, um, Coach Hughley, Coach Perk, man, everybody that was around at that time to, you know, help me become um, the person I am today. So, man, I just want to say thank you again. And um, I, I feel like you, you had a great impact on my life. And, you know, so I just want to know in return, do it, do the same thing for these guys. So, man, I just want to say thank you, man. And I appreciate everything you ever done for me. It's been my pleasure, Nick, again tomorrow night at the Mitchell Center, 7 o'clock p.m., the 23-4 and Southern Miss Golden Eagles take on Richie Riley and the University of South Alabama Jaguars, 7 o'clock p.m. at the Mitchell Center. It's going to be another whiteout. We had one in Southern Miss. We're going to have one at the Mitchell Center tomorrow night. Look forward to everyone getting out and supporting collegiate basketball at the Mitchell Center. Nick, take care. We'll see you tomorrow night, my friend. No problem, man. Thanks, Corey. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Closing ceremonies coming up next.